I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 10, Logan Likes Mary Ann. So you guys, today is an exciting day. Do you know why? Why? I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we know why. (laughs) Yeah. So we have our first guest slash my friend Melissa Walker. Melissa is a young adult novelist and teen romance expert who has written 10 novels for teens and kids, most recently, Why Can't I Be You? So Melissa and I met many years ago when we worked at a teen magazine called Elle Girl, where she was the features editor and I covered entertainment. Um, She's also edited uh, several issues of the 17 Prom issue. Um, She regularly contributed to Teen Vogue. And these days, she's helping people pull their resources together to change the balance of power in state legislature. Teens? pop culture and politics. What more can you ask for in a guest? Welcome, Melissa. Yay. Yay. Thanks, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to have you. So let's start with our one sentence summaries. Melissa, we always start by having these short takes on the overall plot. So do you have one prepared? Fantastic. So I'll tell you mine first. Mine is Marianne falls in love while her friends and Logan try to change her. Parentheses also gets a cat. Close parentheses. So what's yours, Melissa? Mine is boy enters BSC zone. Embarrassed chaos ensues. Excellent. Okay, mine is Marianne's dad makes zero deal about buying her a bra and seems not to care about her getting a boyfriend, but for some reason he has to think about letting her adopt a cat. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like mine is kind of similar, but not. Mine is Marianne gets a bra, a, a boyfriend, and a cat. (laughs) <laughs> important important themes keep it factual yeah Anne's very good at, at uh, boiling things down to the accurate <laughs> essence of the book Emily and I get a little sidetracked I get very sidetracked <laughs> I feel like Anne's is like the library of congress entry like, yeah. very serious yes. exactly <laughs> absolutely wait you guys we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast I'm Esme Schaller an adolescent psychologist I'm kind of bossy but I have a big heart I'm Annie Chicala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. (laughs) And I'm Melissa Walker, an observant and introspective teen novelist and a driven, assertive political organizer. I truly believe I'm half Marianne and half Christy. That tracks. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, please check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the podcast. I know it sounds silly, but it's really important. So... Help us out with those five stars, baby. Okay, so Melissa, tell us about your relationship with the Babysitter's Club books. Like, did you read them a lot, just a little bit, semi-fan, or what's going on? I would say I was a pretty hardcore fan for the first few Babysitter's Club books, and I was definitely excited when they came back around. I did not remember reading deep into the catalog, like, but I was definitely there with books one through ten. Nice. Nice. All right. (laughs) 
I was just trying to figure out if we were still in one through 10. And I was like, what number is this? Oh, it's 10. 10. <laughs> I yeah. have it on literally all of my materials. I remember <laughs> it. I do remember this one. I mean, this one yeah. especially appealed to me as like a Marianne who was getting a boy. Like it was like so exciting. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I'd like to hear more about how this book appeals to you as a Marianne. But also given that you are a teen romance expert, um, what stood out to you about this book? Well, a couple of things. I mean, the first thing that stood out to me was that Logan's mere presence in a babysitter's club meeting just I mean it was like putting a hairdryer in the bathtub like I was like (laughs) what is happening like no one here is cool like everyone (laughs) is just gonna lose their minds over this it really it like it struck me as like a little chaotic and I was kind of confused by it like Mm -hmm. I thought there might be some cooler reactions like some at least pretending to be cool from like Stacy and Claudia but no Melissa lucky for us we have a adolescent psychologist here who did her (laughs) dissertation in romantic adolescent relationships so Esme can you provide some facts or data about this yeah (laughs) yes please explain Um, you know, this is one of the times where I'm going to sort of side with you guys and say, I think Anna Martin did not, I'm with you, Melissa. I mean, they like lose their minds and all of them lose their minds. I mean, I do think it's funny that it seems like basically all of them, except maybe Christy are like also thirsty for Logan. Like everyone's obsessed with this hot new boy that looks just like Cam Geary, AKA River Phoenix. Um, but I don't, it it didn't that initial meeting that you're talking about where where is that is it in chapter three or four um, where basically they all freak out they like hide yeah chapter five they like hide Claudia's rag doll Lenny they like stuff her under the bed and they're all like really stressed out and like scanning the room for like evidence that they are girls I don't know um, and they like can't speak they're like falling all over themselves and dropping things and it didn't make sense to me because you know, Christy doesn't really care about boys yet. So why would she care? She's just like, she's got a bunch of brothers. She's just like, he's a dude. Doesn't matter. And then Stacy and Claudia have been eating lunch with boys for over a year. Like they talk to all these boys at lunch every day. Like they're like cool with them. So I'm, I'm with you guys. I didn't think that this was very accurate in terms of what I know about kind of cross-gender relationships in adolescence. What about how taboo the word bra is? <laughs> I thought that was the weirdest part to me. Like, Claudia can't say it in front of him. He can't hear it. And then he refers to the the incident later on as, like, this horrid thing that happened. That just seemed so unrealistic to me. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, Logan was also acting like a whack job. He lost I mean, his mind. Really, he also <laughs> lost his mind. I yeah. mean, he, yeah, he... He was not, I thought, acting in a normal way either. Yeah, no, that's true. Except that you have to give, you know, Logan's coming into this space with all these girls that already know each other really well. Like, he's the new dude in town. He, like, clearly has a crush on Marianne, right? And so, like, I, it made more sense to me that he would be nervous and acting weird in this scenario than all five of the rest. But he has no problem like sauntering up to their table at lunchtime (laughs) and saying, hello, here are my credentials. Uh, Like hire me. (laughs) But the bedroom is suddenly like this. Everything's changed. Yeah. In, in Louisville, I've had plenty of experience. (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah. 
The spelling out of the Southern accent was a little painful, too. Oh, right. Yeah. So Melissa's a North Carolinian, everybody. Um, so not not Kentucky. But yeah. How did you feel about the I'm, I, I know North Carolina and, and Louisville, Kentucky are different. But how? yeah. How was it for you? I mean, I felt great that he was from Kentucky, but I just felt like we could say it a couple of times. We could say that he has a Southern accent and then we could maybe leave that up to the reader to put it on. Um, (laughs) The spelling changes felt maybe that was the way of writing back then, though. I don't think someone would make the same choices today. Mm. Interesting. Do you think it would be viewed as, um, I mean, not racist because everyone's white basically in Stony Brook, but do you think it would be viewed as, as problematic now? Like representationally, you mean? Right. Like spelling, like that it could be perceived as like poking fun at it or not representing appropriately. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think like dialect is really tricky and you're wading in some, you know, kind of dangerous waters when you go there. And I'm not sure that like, a middle grade novel would have waded into those waters or would do that today. I mean, even just the way Anne just read it, like, it's yeah. like you, <laughs> you have to read it that way. Cause that's the way it's spelled out, but it's like mm-hmm. kind of cringy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize if I offended anyone <laughs> out there. It's so yes, we know is- nothing about cringy accents on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. accidentally made Mr. Spear Southern once. Yeah, she's trying to do an upper crust Connecticut accent and she sounded like he was from Texas. Um, Maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, what what else did you notice, Melissa? Well, I felt really um I felt really nervous for Logan when Marianne was like really judging his babysitting. Like I felt it made me feel anxious. Um partly because I was not a great babysitter and I was sort of imagining myself being judged by a babysitter's club expert on my <laughs> babysitting jobs. And that was terrifying to me because I certainly <laughs> didn't have like a series of protocols in my mind for when something went wrong or if a child ran upstairs, how long is it appropriate for the child to be upstairs before I follow them upstairs? Like I was like, wait, she's really clocking this. And it felt a little extreme to me. Um, And I felt bad for Logan because I was also like, he seems like a great babysitter, actually. He's like catching him in the air and Mm -hmm. keeping him from falling and, you know, just really friendly and nice. And I was just like, they really would have like never let me in the babysitter's club. So (laughs) I have feelings about that part. What made you bad? I mean, I was, uh, this is, I feel guilty even admitting it, but. I would do whatever I could to just do as little as possible. <laughs> so I wanted to just sit on the couch and like preferably watch TV. But, um, you know, the parents obviously weren't that into that. And so I did that sometimes and I would be like, go play or whatever. And then like <laughs> 10 minutes before they was, were supposed to be home, I'd take the kids into the backyard and like run around and be really fun for like 10 minutes so that they had a story about how we were playing outside. And when we came home, we seemed all sweaty and like we'd been like doing something great the whole time. Okay, so I, <laughs> feel, I think it's clear that that Melissa would have been part of the baby babysitter's agency. I, I think that would have been. I yeah. know. I feel terrible about that. <laughs> I would never have let a kid be out in traffic. Like everyone was always safe. It was like benign neglect that was happening. During <laughs> benign <that>. neglect. <laughs> Did you ever burn a hole in a couch cushion with your cigarette? Never. 
Fair enough. Sometimes when Aaron and I are watching Keely and June and we're tired, we'll like, we like try to trick them into thinking that watching something with us is like a special activity. And they'll, they'll be like, Oh, we already watched one episode. Can we do something else? And we're like, damn it. All right. (laughs) I guess we could play or whatever. (laughs) It's tiring. I mean, I remember feeling a palpable sense of relief every time I left a babysitting job. Like, God, that was hard. And I want to go back to my life. It is so I'm not babysitter's club material, I think is what we're revealing right now. But yeah, that's okay. Fair enough. It is interesting that you bring up her judgments of Logan, though, because I thought what I re- went back and reread the chapter where they babysit together and her kind of internal monologue and narration of Logan's ac- activities is really it swings pretty widely. And then when she goes to report back on him, she says, I was really concerned at first, but he ended up, you know, managing to pull it out. Okay. And I was like, I don't think that's a really even a fair assessment of how you were reviewing him in real time. (laughs) Like (laughs) I think she laid on a bit of a judgment afterwards, after the fact too, Mm -hmm. that was potentially unwarranted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that goes along with some of our observations from Marianne saves the day is that like part of her sensitive nature is that she can be a little bit judgmental. Like she keeps it to herself. She just doesn't have the big mouth that Christy has, but she does tend to judge other people fairly harshly. I mean, I'm curious, Melissa, just because you've written a lot of books about teen romance, like what you think about this depiction of teen romance in, in this book. I mean, I will say that as a reader, when I was younger, I was just really excited at the idea that Marianne would be the one who got the boyfriend. And I did read the author's note at the end where it's like Anne and Martin really intended that to be like something where the shyest one, um, the quietest girl, she wanted that to happen for her. And I, I felt shy and quiet at that age. So I was really excited about it. Um, And I remember reading this one particularly over and over again, but as an adult, I felt like there wasn't that much motivation for him to pick Marianne. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, okay, he likes Marianne, but I'm not sure why. And he really hesitates multiple times throughout the book about, and and really, he hesitates about things that are really at Marianne's core, you know, about things that she really make her who she is. And so I feel like his hemming and hawing about like, well, I don't know if things are going to work out between us, which is such a weird phrase to use as a like 13 year old age. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just, it's like, well, I'm hoping things will work out between us. Well, I'm not sure things are going to work out, but like, it's like, what are you talking about? Are we have <laughs> about 40 somethings. Um, so I feel like, like what does it even like, mean for it to work out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what are we working out? Like, what's happening? Um, yeah, so I thought that was like a little, I found that to be a little strange. Um, but I think when I was a kid, I was just so excited for a boy to like Marianne that I, of course, didn't notice any of that. I was just like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, and a dance and a party. It's the best for the boy. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but as a result, I was skeptical. There's so many dances in just this book. I'm like, how many dances does this middle school throw? Okay, like so one a month. This was the other thing that I thought was funny. And this is sort of like a, a writer thing. Usually there's like one event in a book and it builds to that one event. So it's like it builds to prom or it builds to like a graduation party or one big thing. But like they kind of kept happening in this book. And I was like, wait, another gathering? And wait. 
Aren't there just two? Did I miss one? I think one? there's just two. So there's the dance that they go to and then the party. And then at the end, he asks her if he wants to go to the, this upcoming dance. Oh, next, so next after month. the remember September, yeah, then so it doesn't, there's another like, one. The dance itself doesn't take okay. place in this book, but they're anticipating already another dance. And I was like, this seems really... what. What kind of money does this middle school have? <laughs> the 50s fling. Lots of And the fact that Marianne, it also sort of bothered me that Marianne wore the same thing to mm-hmm. both, which I know is like really- It bothered me too. No, she would not do that. Well, you know? but if her only choice is the the famous city skirt, which I like almost fell out of my chair when I read the description of the famous city <laughs> skirt, because this is one that I have not reread since childhood. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. So she gets this skirt with London and Paris and Rome written on it in like handwriting with like sketchy pictures of them, which just like so many people had that skirt. But if she's got the choice between that like perfect outfit that Claudia and Stacey helped her pick out and all of her like little girl jumpers and penny loafers and stuff, I, she might just wear it again because what else is she going to do? I think she would borrow something. I, mean, mm. I think it's, it's also like it's a very distinctive skirt. It's not like people are not going to remember that she just wore this. And I know that <laughs> feels like an important thing when you're that age. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I feel like our our middle school had lots of dances, mm. and like there there was one like every couple months. I don't I know. I didn't go to them, so yeah. <laughs> I think I was surprised that there were two like large gatherings of students and friends in one book. Like I was like, mm-hmm. wait, where's the crescendo? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. is it the dance? You're or right. Is it the surprise party. Which, by the way, was the weirdest surprise party ever. Like, she's <laughs> at the party for a long time. Like, that's not a surprise to then suddenly be like, oh, it's not what you think. It's this other thing. Well, that was Stacy's concession, right? So I think that, you know, after Sea City, Stacy knows Marianne a little bit better now and gets that they're different and gets that Marianne is, you know, temperamentally shy and wouldn't like things that Stacy would like. And so while they start with the idea of a surprise party, they don't want it to be a surprise party because they knew Marianne wouldn't like that. So then it's just a surprise cake. But then once you add in like 30 presents, Presence, then it's not just a surprise cake. Um, so right. yeah, I feel like that was a miscalculation on everybody's part. Yeah. Well, what's interesting yeah. is both Esme and Melissa are two people who have thrown me a surprise party. And they are the only <laughs> surprise parties I've ever had. I hate surprise parties. So so does yeah. Anne. <laughs> <laughs> but I Melissa hate. and I can't but imagine like why it. someone would hate them. So since no. we love Anne so much, we thought she must she will seriously see that we love it's her true. and that's why we did it. People who throw surprise parties don't understand that someone wouldn't like them. Like they want right. one so badly. Yeah. <laughs> right. For me, so. it's anytime I'm involved in a planning of a surprise for someone else and I have to lie to the person over and over again who I'm planning it for, I think about how if I was that person and later like I, oh, oh, my friend was just lying to my face for a month in order to make this happen and I had no clue, it would like really upset me. Like I don't like the idea that people have to lie to you a bunch in order to pull off a surprise <laughs> and that you never know the whole time that anyone's lying to you. But they're lying out of love. I don't care. <laughs> oh, I guess. Yeah. So did you not like it when I showed up for your 30th and you no. didn't know I was coming to New York? No, you didn't have to lie to me about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's the one kind of surprise that it goes outside of that rule. <laughs> you weren't like, hi, I'm not coming to New York for your birthday. 
you know? Well, but I didn't tell you I was coming. Right. But like, you didn't have to lie to me in order to make that happen. Emily's just being uh, very Dawn right now. Just, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of rules. Lots of rules. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's what it is though. I think that Stacy was just being like me and Melissa in this moment and she wanted to do something really nice for Marianne and couldn't imagine that Marianne wouldn't like it. I have a lot of sort of tangential thoughts about some of the dynamics between Logan and Marianne that are things that I think have to do with the politics of the book and also some questions for Esme about some of the psych stuff. But I'm curious, Melissa, would you have written their romantic development any differently? Yeah, I would have, I would have started with a moment of connection. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't feel like that really happened, or at least I didn't notice Mm -hmm. it. Um, and then I think I would have seeded it with more moments of connection. (laughs) Um, I don't know, like, I didn't feel that much connection between Mm -hmm. them. And I think like, as a kid, I just kept thinking about the cover and thinking about like, cute boy in a rugby shirt like that's all you need and then, <laughs> I was like I feel like I need more backstory here like why but isn't the cover the moment of connection like isn't the job they go on with Jackie Rodowski the introduction of Jackie Rodowski and like all of the minor mishaps they have to like that's their like thrown together battle battle scene right yes but I think he likes her before that right I mean yeah I think Sure. There's there's a moment when they're together, but even that didn't she was judging him the whole time and we heard it like internally, you know, that was like a job and she was on duty. So it wasn't that romantic to me when they were babysitting. Not that it should have been romantic when they were babysitting, but you know what I mean? Like it's That's just for the weird. babysitter's agency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, my book would be about them. No. You rewrite it from the POV of the agency. Babysitting is really quite boring. (laughs) Here's the best way to have a job. Somehow convince the kids to play by themselves so that you can watch. Also, I will say, though, there was one other thing that really stood out to me, which was when Logan and Marianne were on the phone and he asked if she was going to watch Meatballs later. (laughs) Like, what? Melissa's making a very disbelieving face, podcast audience. Meatballs is like a sexcapade <laughs> that was on TBS regularly, but like not what you would talk about watching. I don't think. Well, I agree with between you. Logan. I had that Marianne. same reaction, and also I feel like Logan doesn't know Marianne at all to even be like, "Oh, you should check out this movie, Meatballs." Yeah, you guys. He's thirteen. He's a thirteen-year-old boy. <sighs> he probably saw Meatballs and he thought this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Here's a person I like. She'll probably think it's funny too. I will say, I think you're right. I actually think that was a 13-year-old boy thing to do. Totally. Yes, I agree with you. I think that's right. It was like one of the only 13-year-old boys that (laughs) Logan did in this book. Boy things that Logan did in this book. But it's also like, it's also funny because I think earlier I heard y'all talking about how sometimes Anna Martin uses a real reference and sometimes she makes something up, like pop culture Uh wise. And I think that's really interesting. I also think this is an interesting choice of a real movie to throw in. Like. What was Anne M. Martin's relationship to meatballs? And yeah. <laughs> what merited this mention? I just found yeah. it like it really stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> I can't decide whether I should admit that I did not know that was a real reference. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so fun when the ten-year gap between us and Emily just rears its head. That's fantastic. You've never seen meatballs. Does Matt know you've never seen meatballs? Matt assumes I have not seen most movies. Oh, he he would want you to watch Meatballs. 
You love Wet Hot American Summer. A lot of Wet Hot American Summer references are meatballs references. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Right. I guess I have some homework to do before <laughs> <Yeah>. next time. <laughs> yeah. Who knew you were going to get a movie rack out of this? Yeah. That's going to be meatballs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, w- I don't know if I'd call it a wreck. Um, <laughs> no, it's a wreck. I'm, I'm writing it down as a... Um, I totally agree with you, though, Melissa. I think that I was really questioning like why Logan's into Marianne and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I was like, does he just like that she's shy? And like, is that something that, I don't know, what is, how are we supposed to understand that as a, a like mode or note of attraction? And I was a little unsettled by the kind of lack of connection there. Well, and it also, I feel like when you, like, when you just said that, I got a little bit like, Oh, because then it made me feel like, I mean, you could go down like a really dark path here because like, does Logan want someone he can control? And does he want someone who he can be like, I don't know if things are going to work out between us, Marianne, <laughs> unless you change your behavior. Like, you know, like, no, no. Yeah. no, I'll change. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if yeah. that's what was happening, but there, I can see an undercurrent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely think that was what's happening. I mean, he says that directly in chapter 13 about like the only thing is sometimes you're too sensitive i really wasn't sure things would work out between us mm-hmm. so he's like all you know they're not even like officially boyfriend girlfriend and he's already like telling her the things she needs to do differently that's also on the page where he uses an old professor as the kind of wrong serious <laughs> right <laughs> it's okay you're a young professor emily <laughs> true um, yeah, I wrote boo on that page. I hate when people yeah. tell me I'm too sensitive. It makes me really angry. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, should I jump into that? Cause I got a lot to say about that. Well, I want to know first, whether you think Logan is too confident. Cause that was my, on the first read of this book, my initial takeaway was like, I, this does not feel like 13 year old boy behavior to me. Yeah. It's interesting. I went, um, much like Anne's rabbit hole for, uh, Cam Geary last week, I went down a very long rabbit hole about the development of confidence in 13 year old boys, um, compared to girls, uh, shock to no one. There's not data at this point on gender non-binary people in middle school and confidence. Um, so we should have data and there are people working on it, but I will be talking about the gender binary in this conversation. Cause that's where developmental psychology has been for a very long time. So, um, What's interesting is that there's not a lot on boys because in terms of confidence and self-efficacy, boys tend to do pretty well in middle school. So um, puberty, basically, boys do not do as well in elementary school. There's a lot of talk about how elementary school is kind of made for girls because you have to sit still and you have to be quiet and you have to do a lot of things that younger boys are often not as capable of doing. Um, And boys are more disruptive and those kinds of things. Um, And so girls often get a lot of early self-confidence and efficacy through succeeding in elementary school and succeeding in peer relationships when boys are often don't have as sophisticated an understanding in peer relationships. And there's a lot more research on kind of the confidence drop that girls experience around puberty. And -hmm. we've talked about this a little bit in previous in terms of this being a really transitional time for the babysitters and, you know, who has their period and who doesn't. But basically when you transition to middle school and you get your period, both of those are drops for girls when it comes to confidence. Um, And 
basically you take like a fourth or fifth grader and she's on top of the world and she knows she can do anything and she can kick ass. And then you look at that same girl in seventh or eighth grade and she's often much more quiet and kind of cowed by the world. We're doing a lot of things as a society to try to stop that. Um, But this is 1988 when we were doing zero things as a society to try to stop that. And so in contrast, what we see from boys in middle school is uneven development. And I'm sure we can all remember this from seventh and eighth grade, how some boys looked like eight and some boys Hot. looked 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and turns out, not a surprise, the boys that look hot have more confidence. And we're being told that Logan Bruno looks exactly like River Phoenix, Cam Geary, <laughs> and everyone is swooning, right? The whole BSC is like, look at him. So I actually think given that, it probably makes sense that he's fairly confident. Um, whereas, you know, an Alan Gray or an Alexander Kurtzman is not going to come off as well um, in this particular slice of time in middle school. So does he say things that sound like a 13-year-old of any gender wouldn't say? Sure. Um, but I think like the meatballs recommendation plus the kind of walking over the table and saying he has experience, that unevenness is actually pretty accurate for an eighth grade boy. Hmm. Man, that confidence drop is a bummer. It's a huge bummer. So, and that's what organizations like a mighty girl are working on. And also lots of, um, basically anything Peggy Orenstein has ever written. We'll put some of her books in our bookshop are, um, really good and important things to read and recommendations to follow. Um, and, and there is some research that the more girls know about it, the less likely it is to happen. So, um, Alice Tapper, Jake Tapper's daughter, is a Girl Scout and created this um, Raise Your Hand campaign a couple of years ago because she learned that after fifth grade, girls become like five times less likely to raise their hand to answer questions in class unless they're sure they know the answer. Whereas boys don't care. They're like, oh, and they'll just guess. <laughs> um, and so she's she put out information about that. And you can like take the raise your hand pledge and like learn that that happens and say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm still going to raise my hand. And so there's a lot of really cool initiatives to help girls around this. Um, and that's what the data have shown for a long time. Very interesting. As me with the facts. I love that there's like the, the idea of even knowing that it could happen is really helpful because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it definitely happened to me and I, you feel like you're the only person who's going through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like such a universal experience. And so mm-hmm. to have like an awareness and a name and uh, this is why it happens and look for these signs is mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. I had somebody send, I don't know if it was a study or, or where the study was concentrated, but there was some data suggesting that like if you have a job announcement that has 10, you know, things that they're looking for and uh, men who meet half of those say, oh, I meet half of those and apply. And women who only meet half of those say, oh, I only meet half of those and don't. And I, I think once, it's worse than that. I think it's worse. That men will apply when they meet two of the 10 and women will only apply when they meet nine or 10 of the 10. Wow. But once I, I, I have to find that, but I've seen that as well. Once I read that, that changed the way I started looking at job announcements though. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I have two of those things. I'm going to, I'm going to pretend I have the confidence of a, apparently a 13 year old boy and apply for this job. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true of running for office too. Like men will uh-huh. often think like I should run for office and women have to be asked an average of seven times before it, like different people mentioning it to them saying, I think you'd be good at this. I think, you know, and if enough people come to them, they'll build up enough confidence to run. But men are just like, oh, I think I should do this. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, patriarchy. That that doesn't usually come up on this show, Melissa. So it's really good that you're here to bring it up for us. I feel like now I just kind of hate Logan. Yeah. And now Logan's a, Logan's, is Logan a dick? I I think he's a 13 year old boy in 1988. At 13 and now he's like, I don't know, just some loser out there. Well, my question is, is he like a cool guy or is he just like a, like a heartthrob cute guy like what how does he where does his coolness come from is he like a cool nerd is he like like, what click is he like a jock yeah like what's his deal i don't feel like jocks would babysit Mm. in 1988 i feel like he has to be pretty confident and secure in his masculinity like he probably can play a sport but he's not like a like jock in quotation marks kid would be my guess. Yeah, you think like the quarterback of the football team is not babysitting? <laughs> no, I don't mm-hmm. think he is. Um, so, Melissa, you had a question about Marianne's shyness. Yeah, yeah. Right? This is so. Does like is Marianne simply shy, or does she actually have like a form of social anxiety? And and what's the difference between those two things? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. That was something that um, I was thinking about while reading it, because I'm always trying to, you know, we have Claudia with a tentative diagnosis of ADHD. And so I'm always sort of ruling in and out psychiatric diagnoses. And I think that shyness and social anxiety, it's really common that people think of them as the same thing. And there's a danger. So they're not, I'll start with that. Um, And there's a danger in that because we don't want to pathologize shyness, right? Like shyness is just a temperament trait and some people are more shy than others. um, And that's kind of just how we are. And it tends to be relatively stable um, across the lifetime. And then we also don't want to write off people who are really suffering with social anxiety disorder and say like, oh, she's just shy um, because then they don't get the help they need. And that that's really problematic also. So the things about Marianne, so basically what we're looking at oftentimes when we're deciding, like, does something rise to the level of a mental health problem is whether or not meets this criteria in psychology, we call harmful dysfunction. And so that basically is do your symptoms, whatever they are, interfere with you being able to, like it's called fulfilling the main role activities in your life. But basically, do the symptoms get in your way of you having friends, having romantic partners, if that's something you want, doing your job, like carrying out life. Um, And if they do, then it may meet criteria for disorder. And if they don't, they don't. So you can be somebody who, you know, struggles with your mood, but if it never makes you miss work or it doesn't interfere with your relationships, you probably aren't going to meet criteria for clinical depression, for major depressive disorder, for instance. Um, And so Marianne, in this book, we can kind of see her in some ways sort of on the line between social anxiety and shyness. You have to take the context into account, 
right? So she's also a 13-year-old girl, 12, turning 13, with her first real crush on a boy. And those are things that are going to heighten your anxiety, right? So it's not, if she was like a 30-year-old woman at some work function and she kicked off her shoe and it made her, you know, sit by herself the rest of the night, then I might call that social anxiety disorder. Um, if it meant that she couldn't like talk to coworkers and she couldn't reconnect with her partner, then then that might actually be a problem. But when you're 13, that could be really, really embarrassing. And her temperament is that she's shy, so she doesn't like to be the center of attention. So something that makes her the center of attention, whereas like, you know, Christie's like us can handle it. Like it's not something that Marianne's going to want. So I do, I do think she's just shy. I don't think we have a lot of evidence for social anxiety disorder, especially because she re-engages again and again. Right. So even after she runs out on the party, which again is, there's a lot of things that are heightened in that um, with Logan there and everything else. She feels bad about it. She calls her friends. She calls Logan. She like reaches out again. It doesn't, she's not so mortified that then she hides for a week afterwards or misses school or doesn't speak to her dad or, or things like that. Whereas social anxiety it affects about 7% of the population. Some, some samples say more, some, it can be really, really crippling. It can really get in people's way. Um, and what I thought was really interesting in researching this, I haven't really, I knew the difference, but I haven't really looked at the overlap. Only about 25% of people who are temperamentally shy go on to develop social anxiety. So, and, and a lot of people that do have social anxiety are actually quite extroverted, but then they develop this anxiety and can't engage in relationships in the way that they want to. So they're not temperamentally shy to begin with. I can't wait to tell Matt that he does not have social anxiety. We're going to have to speed this up. (laughs) Yeah, no, he definitely does not. (laughs) It's it's official. Um, I had the, the, Funniest part to me about the dance scene is when, first of all, I do not think it's embarrassing to accidentally fling your shoe off I, at all. But also her like pout about it seemed to me to be more out of stubbornness than shyness. She's like, you laughed at me and I'm punishing you. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't know. If, I mean, we've been talking about her moments of, um, you know, self-assertion in spite mm-hmm. of her kind of overall you know, role in the background in the group. Um, but that I was like, Ooh, that's a, that's a little spitfire there. (laughs) That's so interesting. I didn't take it like that at all. I thought she was deeply ashamed. And when you, when you feel shame, your urge is to hide and she couldn't, she, she was getting a ride home. So she couldn't actually leave because she's only 13. So that was her like version of hiding, but she could have gone outside on those mean streets in Stony Brook. Also, like, what made her ashamed? The shoe fling? Yeah, and then I think she was, I think the shoe fling embarrassed her. Embarrassment's just a form of shame. And then she was probably mad at herself for running away and being a baby about the shoe thing, which then made her more ashamed. Mm. That's the that's the behavior chain I did. I don't know. You guys might not agree, but that's what it's almost made as sense if to Esme me. had this experience. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I did. Did I have? A, <laughs> I mean, I did a lot of embarrassing things in middle and high school, but I don't think that one happened to me. That's no, it's, it's almost as if I work with a lot of teenagers who have difficulties modulating yes. shame. I don't feel like the connection was clear for me as a reader between the shoe fling and then. Oh my gosh, I kind of overreacted to the shoe fling. I hate myself for doing that. And now I'm embarrassed and ashamed. Um, 
it was all related to the shoe flings to me and that seemed silly but there I am judging mm. her and making her feel ashamed so I get it right <laughs> yeah I'm just looking really quick where we get her internal life on like page 92 uh, no because she's she's judging herself a lot as she you know please I prayed let me wake up and find out that this is all a nightmare but it wasn't a whole bunch of kids had seen my flying shoe and they were laughing by the time I'd put it on and was wending my way back to Logan, nice use of the word wending, um, he was standing with Stacy and Dawn and the three of them were laughing too. I had never, never, never been so embarrassed in my whole life. How could I have been feeling so happy just a moment, few moments earlier? I should have known something like this would happen. I'm not the kind of person who's cut out for boys or dances or parties. I'm just not. I knew this evening was going to be horrible. So that to me is when she starts judging herself of like, she shouldn't even be there. But I see what you're saying. She doesn't say much more about that. Yeah, I guess so. So Mary is just a big crybaby. Yeah. And it's part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know Claudia laughed the loudest. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, speaking of her being a crybaby, though, can we talk a little bit more about this too sensitive label? So this is, um, this is very dear to my heart as a, as a former Marianne and as like a second most Marianne to my Christy, which I think, you know, Melissa being a 50, 50 has in common with me. Um, you know, I was always a super sensitive kid and I did, I did cry a lot when embarrassing things happened when I was younger. Um, and I work, this is what I do. I work with teens who are labeled as too sensitive by society, basically, um, and so that the two there really gets to me um, because it's not very uncommon to be highly sensitive. So about 10% of the population ha- has more sensitivity to emotions than other people. So basically your dial is just turned up a little higher and maybe you're like me and Emily and you can't watch scary movies or maybe you cry at lots of things or stuff just affects you more you right than it affects other people. <laughs> It's a running gag on the podcast, Melissa, that Anne and Emily asked me if I'm crying now, but I am not actually crying. I'm not not crying. I'm not actually crying now. Um, So this idea, I think that, you know, we have, and some of this goes back, like Emily, you, I have more to say, but I think it goes back to like the Puritan work ethic and like pull yourselves up by your bootstraps ideology. And, and, you know, I'm happy to continue to blame capitalism for, for this also, but I think we have an idea that sensitivity is, is weak and wrong. Um, but it's like one in 10 people. There's a lot of us that are very sensitive. And so that in and of itself, I don't think is something to change. So that's, that's when I got real mad at Logan. I also wrote boo, um, next to that section that we were talking about in chapter 13. What do you think, Em? Do you think it's related to capitalism? <laughs> tell, oh, us, everything. tell us what you noticed. Always. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what well, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about their relationship in terms of like, would, I mean, this is a sort of flippant way to put it, but like, I don't see Logan as kind of going up, going to college and like taking a class in women's studies and like, (laughs) unless there's a cute girl in it. And he's like, you know, he seems pretty committed to, I think Melissa exactly nailed it earlier this like, well, not pretty committed, obviously we just, we're barely getting to know him, but a little bit committed to uh, a kind of stereotypical traditional hetero sexual relationship or dynamic um and that like being it's not just being sensitive it's like being girly and but the weirder part to me in terms of all the gender policing in this book was like how so on the one hand 
the boy boys babysit and we know that like that's possible and it doesn't you know transgress any horribly transgress any social norms but which the is way, cool which is cool that's pretty good for 1988 but the way that they talk about boys babysitting and the way that Logan babysits the boys like really doubles down on the like there are boys things and a boy world and there are girl things and a girl world and mm-hmm. I thought that that was a little um troubling that like there's a moment where Marianne's like reflecting on watching Logan engage in some um you, you know some interaction with Jackie Radowski and she says in some parenthetical like was this some boy rite of passage that I had was not privy to and I'm like oh Marianne there's no such thing come on <laughs> um so that I thought more so than the dynamic of their like budding romance was kind of where some of the more subtle um reinforcement of mm-hmm. like heteronormativity and gender stereotypes um yeah. took place in this book yeah, lots of like boys will be boys. Lots stuff. of boys will be boys stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a, a whole gives a whole other take on the whole bra strap phenomena too, and the talking about mm-hmm. bras and the pulling of the bra straps and that kind of thing. Yeah, and we we referenced this in the beginning, but can you just tell people what what we're talking about with this whole bra strap incident when Logan visits? So when Logan goes to a babysitters club meeting at Claudia's place, um, she's recounting some story about how a girl's bra strap got snapped by some guy. But she paused before she said bra strap because it was too embarrassing to say bra in front of a boy, which is weird. Um, So that was a big thing. But then you asked Keely, your daughter, if boys still did that in middle school. And what did she say? Yeah, my 12-year-old was like horrified at the idea that this was ever a thing. And she was like, uh, that would be sexual harassment. Nobody grabs anybody's bra strap. I can't believe that people did that and you thought it was normal. So yeah, that's progress. cool. <laughs> progress. Coming a long way. I, you know, I do think, I actually do think that mentioning bras in front of a boy would be a thing that would make them uncomfortable. Like that she would start telling a story and then realize, like that rang true to me, that there would be like a pause. And then like the fact that like every single one of their faces turned red, though, seemed silly. Like it was like, okay, people would get upset, but like not everyone in the room would like suddenly turn into jello, you know? Mm -hmm. But it is interesting, though, that like the thing that is uncomfortable is the saying of the word bra, not the action of the snapping of it, right? Totally. That that's like totally right. fine in this universe, but you can't say the word bra in mixed company. Right. <laughs> Pete Black can, can violate Dorianne Wallingford's boundaries and <laughs> touch her, her feminine under things without consent, but we can't mention it in front of a boy we don't know well. Well, I mean, so when I've read the, so the juxtaposition of not being able to say bra, but thinking that snapping bra straps is a completely acceptable behavior really jumped out at me reading this. And then I was reflecting on like how normal that was when I was a kid and thinking about now how we talk really differently around like boundaries and harassment and stuff. Um, and that, you know, like now, you know, comments made about clothing are we see that as related to these b- bigger sets of behaviors that are super problematic and reinscribe a bunch of, you know, gender-based hierarchies. But I was like, oh, there was a lot of stuff that went down when we were in school that were, was totally, uh-huh. totally unacceptable and inappropriate 
that I hadn't thought about in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So at my middle school, which was actually a junior high, but transitioning into a middle school, um, was the thing that happened a lot was shanking. Which does that word ring a bell? I don't. Anyone? I don't. No, I mean, I only exactly. know that word meaning being stabbed, <laughs> but I don't think shanked. that's what you yeah. mean. Got shanked means stabbed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is not what was happening. Um, okay, but it was. It was like people pulling other people's pants down. Yeah, oh. in California, we called that pantsing. Pantsing. Yeah, yeah. that happens a lot yeah. in P- in PE. Oh yeah, especially in PE because the shorts had the elastic waistband, so it was Mm -hmm. easy to pants somebody. Yes, and I remember like people tying their like if you had a tie that you could tighten at your waistband, you tie it really tightly to avoid shanking. Yeah, pantsing. Um, Yeah, (laughs) maybe your middle school is just tougher than ours. That's why there was all that shanking going. I mean, sometimes I think like I do remember like an incident where someone's underwear also came down and like that just went around the school, like just wildfire. And now I'm back on that and like, that's terrible, you know, horrible. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot. Bra strapping was only the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. And shaking happened to boys, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was a. But I think related to the earlier conversation around like confidence gaps that like those things become more mortifying for girls because they're also linked to ways that like girls get socialized into their gender and like differential, you know, we've been joking a lot about the like meaning of the different ages at which the girls get their period. But like when I was in middle school, that was something people talked about a lot. And oh, yeah a range of judgments around like tying it to particular, you know, character traits, like right. a swatch watch, for example. <laughs> <laughs> That's a late period signifier. I'll tell you right now. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, I didn't mention this when we talked about it before, but Emily, it's a really important point. Like boys who go through puberty earlier are seen as more popular more competent do better, have better psychosocial outcomes. And girls who get their periods earlier, go through puberty earlier, are, are, have more problems associated with it. We've talked about in earlier episodes how it's a protective factor to have a late period. Um, so yeah, it just, all of these things along with these different kinds of harassment really interact to form a really potentially toxic mess in middle school. I just had one more thing about this book that I, we don't have to talk about it, but I feel like Mr. Spear is weird in this book. <laughs> Say more. You, you I love just you. don't you understand. Love you some Richard Spear. <laughs> uh, he's my favorite villain um, <laughs> in in the BSC universe. <laughs> I don't understand his line of reasoning in this book. I mean, he, we talked a lot about in Marianne Saves a Day how um, he gives a really bad uh, definition of um, mm-hmm. a double standard, <laughs> and he uses kind of age as an arbitrary stand-in for like what how a double standard looks or how different differently applying standards based on some arbitrary distinction. But I feel like he's doing that a bit in this book. He's like, Oh, I have all these rules, but like, Oh, you're 13 now. So like not, not actually evaluating her um, choices and her behaviors based on kind of like evidence and a relationship, but the, just the arbitrary 13 ness. He's like, eh, Oh, you want a cat because you're 13. Yes, of course. Okay. This is a check. You may have this. You are now, a, a, a emerging into adulthood. Goodbye. And like the fact that she makes very little deal around or like 
we don't get the story of her, her, him taking her to get a bra. She just tells it to the girls like, oh yeah, we went to the mall yesterday. My dad took me and I bought a bra. But I feel like that would have been a bigger deal given their past history. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And then like from that pivot to the conversation they have around the cat, he asks her, do you know a vet? As like one of the questions that he's ruminating on when he's trying to decide whether or not they can get a cat. And I was like, like, that's the hard part. Yeah. Like also, why are you asking your 13 year old kid if she knows a vet? Like look one up in the phone book. You're the, I like, I did not understand that interaction at all. (laughs) I don't know what's up with Mr. Spear in this book. He, I mean, I feel like he was just in the background. Like he, it was so, so he was a little uneven. Yeah. So can we say that Marianne has her period now? Mm. No, I don't think she has it yet. Bra, I think bra usually comes before period. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I still don't think she's there. But I don't know. What do you? What do you think, Melissa? Emily? I agree with that. I think. I think she does not have her period yet. I think she's. Yeah, she's got a bra now. Not yet. Forward, but okay. Not yet. All right, and take us out of the patriarchy. Okay, get ready. (laughs) So just a couple things. So this mostly has to do about the Remember September dance that they attend. First, Marianne says that Stacy shows her a few dance moves. <laughs> and Stacy being from New York City, I'm sure she has some pretty sophisticated dance moves to show her. So <laughs> I just, I mean, oh God, I so just you know, Googled 80s dance moves. And I was like, okay, like some of these seem like likely candidates like the electric slide definitely i feel like that's something marion can handle she can do it it's not that hard right it's a basic you know over under step kind of Mm -hmm. and then you have things like the running man roger rabbit cabbage patch which i feel like we all did at school dances oh yeah this is except Anne could do all three at the same time (laughs) which is something that we requested frequently and it's amazing I want you to film a boomerang and put that on Instagram and she probably won't you guys, but maybe if we get like 10,000 10, followers, followers she'll do that. I will do that. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> um, but then I was thinking about like in terms of just pop culture and the music that was out. Cause I feel like a lot of our dance moves were influenced by, by movies or just like music videos, right? Like mm-hmm. walk like an Egyptian was something we did a lot. But is that mm-hmm. cool to do at a school dance? Yep. I don't know. I mean, when you're 13, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like they played that and like the dinosaur all the time. Um, there's also a lot of Michael Jackson things like Thriller, the, the Thriller dance, or no, she's not doing that. Oh, Marianne's that. not doing that. No I don't do the know. So she's not doing that. No one can do the moonwalk. I mean, from <laughs> bold claim. It's coming from the person who can do what are the three the running man, do running man, Roger Rabbit, and Cabbage Patch. Running man. Oh yeah, I'm gonna need yeah. to see this. I haven't done it in a long time. I'll try it's it. Later. Really good. Um, it's really good. Really good. For the record, I think it's pretty bold of you to claim that we all did those moves. <laughs> I certainly did not do those moves. I wished I could, but I would never have even tried. So, Melissa, at 13, at just 13, were you still, do you think, more Marianne than Christy? Definitely more Marianne. Mm-hmm. Like, always just hoping that someone would ask me to dance at the dances. Mm-hmm. And we didn't go to dances mm-hmm. with boys. We just went mm-hmm. in groups and, like, hoped that someone would ask us to dance when it was a slow song and had fun during the fast songs. 
But yeah. so I feel like yeah. Melissa is a very like you're a very swoony person. Yeah, she she feels a lot. Yes, I feel a lot. So okay, so moonwalk. I don't think she did that unless she's a really good dancer, and this is something that's going to come out in the later later books in the series. Yeah, Mary and Larry. But then I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, thinking about the dirty dancing lift, and what if her and Stacy practice that. <laughs> In her room before the dance. You think that's a possibility? No. <laughs> no. No. Well, Not knowing, at all. knowing that maybe Stacy no. played the part of Patrick Swayze, because we know that <sighs> maybe Marianne had a thing for Patrick Swayze, even though you think it's River Phoenix. But, you know. <laughs> Patrick Swayze was like 37. This is true. He was kind of old. And the thing about the dance moves, there's like the robot. Which I feel like Marianne could do. You just kind of stand there. <laughs> I thought it'd be really cool if she did something like the worm. <laughs> if cool, she's not embarrassed like, by her shoe falling across the room, she's not doing the worm. Wait, what dance was she doing? She was doing the, the Rockette the the dance. Did you think about that? She was, right? Is it- <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. The dance she that. does oh, yeah, at the dance runs. is oh, imitate is- Logan. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Oh man, that's actually striking me in a whole new way after yes. Logan. Yeah, I know. And it was like he was—he acted like he was King Kong, and I was like, "What kind of dance move is that?" He also loved yeah. her oh. imitating him. He thought mm-hmm. that was so great. We should rename this Logan <laughs> Gaslights Marianne. <laughs> oh no! Esme hates it when we go down a dark path. She gets really sad. <laughs> well, you said that an eight-year-old was an incel, and it really yeah, he didn't grow up to one. be an incel. Okay, no, no, no. I'm I'm sorry I brought yeah, him up. He's canceled. canceled. We're not talking okay. about him anymore. So the other sorry. thing I want to talk about is Marianne mentions that Smash is her and Christie's favorite group. It's, yeah, Smash. So Smash is not a real band, or is they're not a real group. So I did a little deep dive into who, much like Cam Gary, who Smash could be. I'm so excited. So it's much more, like, complicated than I had thought it would be. So it's, okay, so it's 1988. And initially I thought, oh, okay, first I had to distinguish group from 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 band because group was more like people who just sing and dance, whereas a band is someone who, like, plays their instruments. So that was my first... Um, thing I had to kind of take into consideration. So in the 80s, you think of bands like, you know, like Wham and Duran Duran, but this is really the late 80s now. So so in the late 80s, um, you started to see some early alternative type stuff coming out. So in 88, Dinosaur Jr. put out an album. Soundgarden had an album out. Um, Soul Asylum, Jesus and Mary Chain, like Jane's Addiction. So we're kind of heading into that true alternative 90s era. But I was like, they don't, those are also bands. These girls are not listening to those But I'm just sitting bands. in stage here. And then there's, there are also like, like metal bands like Slayer and Judas Priest and Pantera. Obviously, they're not into them. So then I got into some, so these are some possibilities that I thought they could be, but then I decided... They, Smash was not them. So Wham, no. They broke up in 1986. And plus, they were really popular oh. in like 80, like 80 to 83, really. 
and they were mm-hmm. very young at that yeah. point. So I thought of Duran Duran, yeah. but also Duran Duran, very mm-hmm. popular in the early 80s. But they were still popular in the early 90s. I mean, they came out with that Ordinary World song and stuff, but it was in their, Ordinary this World was in their hiatus. Back, though. Right. So they kind yeah. of had okay. A, so 88 was between 88 was kind of like, so I did some research. I did have an album that came out. It was called Big Thing. Um, and it went gold. So that meant it sold 500,000 albums. But compared to Rio in 1982, that went double plant platinum. So they sold over like 2 million. So they, okay. they were saying like at 88 was kind of like when their popularity was declining. So it could yeah. have been them, but also I don't think it was Duran Duran. Um, you did a lot of research, huh? <laughs> I um, know. I love this Okay, so, so much. then I got into, I was like, oh, maybe it's a group like New Edition. But then Bobby Brown oh. had already left the band at that point. So I don't think. Mm. No, he hadn't. started being Bobby Brown. It was Brown, like, not yet. So yeah. Not yet. Um, and then I thought about, oh, what if it was something off like a soundtrack from a John Hughes movie. Um, so I was like, mm-hmm. 16 Candles was mm-hmm. 84, Breakfast Club was 85, and Pretty in Pink was 86. So you have like Wham! was mm-hmm. on 16 Candles soundtrack, Simple Minds said the Don't You Forget About Me theme song for Breakfast Club, and Psychedelic right. for saying Pretty in Pink. Which, oh, yeah, Psychedelic like Verse is a reasonable. I don't think... But they weren't like a, they didn't have like a sustained cool. popularity really. It was just more like they're right. on the soundtrack and that song is really popular. Well, and would you call them a group or a band? I guess yeah. I would call, I would call, I would call Wham and Soulful of Minds groups and Psychedelic Fruit is probably a band. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, so then I get into okay. my main contenders. I thought... First, I was like, oh, the Bangles, so they're kind of more of a band, but they were very popular from 86 to 89 because they had Manic Monday, Walk Like an Egyptian, mm-hmm. and an Eternal Flame in those three years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that'd be, I can see them really liking them, but also, I guess it could be a group slash band, but I, I think probably a lot of female headed right. bands were called groups as right. so then I thought about the Go-Go's, but the Go-Go's yeah. are much more early 80s mm-hmm. and apparently they had the fr- they broke up in 84 um so it probably wasn't them right because smash releases an album yeah. right marianne gets the new I smash so. album for her birthday um, okay. and then i was like tears for fears because they're kind of like there's like two guys they're kind of a group but they had a lot of yeah they had a lot of hits in from 80, 85 to 89. Um, like everybody wants to wear the world, head of reels, all that stuff. It just seems to, I don't know, Melissa, what do you think? I feel like Tears for Fears seems too sophisticated for Christy and Marianne. Yeah, I don't think it's Tears for Fears. I mean, the Bengals feel like a most possible thing right now. I also want to mm-hmm. ask a question. Who is the source on band versus group? Like who's yeah. the narrator who gave us Thank that assessment? You. It's Marianne. No. It's Marianne. Oh, yeah. It's Marianne. And mm-hmm. she doesn't say anything about bands. Group. She just says it's a group. So I feel like you can call a group a band, a band a group you can. when you're a 12-year-old but I girl. haven't gotten into my two main contenders yet. So these are, okay. these are, oh, okay. these are the two bands I think it really could be. Well, groups. Bands, you just bands. said? 
How many times can we say group or band? Okay, the first <laughs> main contender is Huey Lewis and the News. Oh. Because based on our previous conversation about Christy and Marianne's tastes, I feel like that kind of aligns because we said Christy just kind of listens to what her mom listens to, which was like Billy Ocean and stuff. And Marianne really is into like mm-hmm. Houston and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so in 1985, they had The Power of Love on the Back to the Future soundtrack. And in 86, they put out an album called Four that had five top 10 singles. So, and they were very popular throughout the early 90s. Oh, man. Did they release something in late 87 or early 88? They, they released something, I believe, in 89. Okay. Do you think it would, if they were her favorite group, though, would she wait two whole years to get their new album for her Maybe. birthday? I don't know. What does is, what is her dad say? <laughs> so, okay, this is, this is who I really think it could be. I'm so excited. I think it's New Kids on the Block. <laughs> so, 86. <laughs> I really made us work for that one. <laughs> I know, right, it seems yeah. so obvious now, right? Um, 86 <laughs> is her debut album, but 80. From 88 to 89 was when all their Hanging Tough singles came out. So that included Hanging Tough, Please Don't Go mm-hmm. Girl, You Got the Right Stuff, uh, I'll Be Loving You. So uh, I really think, I feel like that is the band. <laughs> they are smash. Yeah, there's no B-sides on that album. It's there's all no- I think you're right. But here's like a weird thing. Like, as an author, whenever I've made up a band name or like a movie name, I've actually tried to keep it in the rhythm mm-hmm. of the real name. And that's why I'm confused by calling New Kids on the Block Smash. Like, I, but you know, yeah. that's a different writerly choice. I just, in my own mind, I would have called that something kind of close to New Kids that on is, the Block. Which, right. You would think but, Smash would be right. Wham. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do think Wham makes more really. sense in terms of their names, but I don't think that, like, Wham is so early 80s that I... But here's the other thing that I think authors do. They put their own stuff mm-hmm. on their characters. So it could be that Anna Martin was thinking of an album that she got when she oh, was man. 19. Okay, so now we have to do... No, no, Esme, Sorry, can you please do the math on that? <laughs> no, no, we do yeah, and was, this is another thing. As he does math out loud, Anna Martin was thirteen. In- you like me to do math out loud? I know. So she was thir- She turned thirteen in nineteen sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. So exactly twenty years before Smash. Marianne. Um, there's so many options for nineteen sixty-eight, though. You guys, oh, we got, like this would right. be a whole other podcast. I don't. We don't. We don't have time to do this. Amazing. I, yeah. I don't, that's, that's fair, Melissa, but I don't think, I don't think she was doing it. What I was thinking is that maybe Anna Martin was just mm-hmm. lagging a couple of years because she's a 30 year old trying to write about current 13 year olds. And so she was thinking of Wham, but just because her knowledge of like pop music is a couple of years behind, because why would she be keeping up with music? I think that's also possible. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I think in the reality of these girls' lives, you're right. Totally. Totally. On the block. Yeah. And they're yeah. totally doing the hanging tough totally. arms way at the dance. And yeah. also, everyone the, is the red stuff. Yeah. Shimmy. Oh my god! So I have good. to go listen to some of that later. That's probably yeah. what Stacy was teaching. That, we solved um, it. But just for listeners out there, I'm going to be making a Remember September Spotify playlist. So we'll yes. post that when this episode's up. 
Awesome. What kind of candy do we have in this one, Nanny? Not that much candy. Uh, Claudia veers on the savory side in this book. So she has gum. She mentions gumdrops, which are like, an- why? Why? See, I feel like. We've talked so much shit about gumdrops already I on this like podcast. If Claudia is that into candy, <laughs> she wouldn't be eating gumdrops. Um, but they also eat pretzels, uh, popcorn, and also Doritos, which I endorse because Doritos are really good. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's a real savory mood. Yeah. What kind oh, of Doritos man. are your favorite? Um, I just have to say the original Doritos, nacho cheese. But nacho sometimes cheese. maybe a Cole Ranch now and then. Yeah. I like the salsa verde ones. What? That's that's very millennial. It's too fancy. Emily. They're so yeah, good. I, I have to say, I like the spicy chili ones in the purple uh-huh. bag. Yeah, those are good too. I like to have like a yeah. junk food aside with Melissa. Melissa is the first person I, I ever saw dip their pizza in ranch dressing. What, we did we did that in high school. What are you no, talking about? I did not do that in high school. Okay, Michelle and I did. <laughs> That's one of the things that I think is like a weird regional. It's like in weird regional pockets, but there's no consistency. Like it's a central mm-hmm. California thing for sure. I think it's also a Midwest thing and apparently also North Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, ranch on things is definitely a Southern thing. And I yeah. felt like Domino's made that part of their cornerstone, that it was okay to do it. And they would provide ranch with your pizza in a little <laughs> convenient dipping tub, which really just allowed the whole nation <laughs> to take part. They did that at me and Ed's. Did you guys have me and Ed's in Sacramento or is that only Central Valley? No, it's a Central Valley pizzeria. Mm. We've had it at your mom's place. but Me yeah. and Ed's? Me, me and Ed's. Ed's. Me and Ed. <laughs> me and Ed's. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> I wish I me and Ed's, though. All right, where are we at with the tallies? So, um, Marianne, like I said, a little bit more judgmental than some of the other girls, but not nearly as judgmental in this book as she was in Marianne Saves the Day because they're not having this crazy fight. So, we get two mentions of sophisticated. Twice she calls herself shy, once she calls herself sensitive, and once Logan does. So that's bringing us to 13 babyish, 13 bossy, 12 sophisticated, 16 shy, 4 sensitive, 2 exotic, and still no one has described Dawn yet. Um, and my only, Dawn. My only um, social justice thing in this book is, again, we have them referring to mother's helpers and mother's helpers' wages. Um, but that's, that's it. It's the only main thing that popped out. Did you notice there's one, this is like, I don't have anything smart to say about it, but I thought it was really funny that uh, at the beginning of one of the chapters where they're having a meeting, Marianne says, sometimes our club president likes to run things according to parliamentary procedure and then like doesn't (laughs) elaborate. And I was like, what does Marianne think parliamentary procedure is? (laughs) And also, why did Anna Martin think that she would say that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's just like, a, you know, different ways to throw shade at Christie's overly structured nature. <laughs> so funny. That's good. Um, what was everyone's favorite weird line? Um, I had one. She mentions people thinking that she comes from planet Snorzak, which I sort of appreciated in the beginning. A little bit about her shyness. 
And then I also had when whichever boy that didn't get invited to the party is calling to prank call at while they're at Stacy's house. And he says, I have a pig farm reserved in the name of Stacy McGill. That was the other one I wrote down. <laughs> That's a very good one. I thought that was a pretty good crank call. And you know, we don't get very many anymore because of caller ID and cell phones. Mm-hmm. So made me a little nostalgic. There's no there, no villains in a prank call. That's that's a pretty good one. <laughs> How about you, Anne? Well, I had the Logan line, which I already said, and I don't want to say it again out loud. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, just um, his accent. <laughs> and then I don't. I just thought it was weird on page eight when um, Logan comes to the meeting, and Claudia says, "Let's have some refreshments first. Like, who says? What? Yeah, it's very formal. What 12 or 13-year-old <laughs> says that, especially Claudia? Uh, my favorite weird line was kind of similar. In the last chapter, when the girls come over for, like, a mini birthday surprise, Stacy says, well, let's oh, kill, let's the, kill cake. the cake. Yeah. <laughs> that was mine, too. That was mine. I was just <laughs> staring at it. I was like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> no, that's not a thing you say. Well, let's kill the cake. Let's <laughs> kill. What? We're going to shank, shank the Love cake. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cakes don't wear pants. Um, <laughs> they can't just wear water, too. I just want to point out that that line also comes after like an amazing description of the silly gifts from the boys. Like Alan Gray gave me a wind up dinosaur that shot sparks out of its mouth, and Austin gave me a pin shaped like a cow. Those amazing. details. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yes. Should we go with I Kill like a Cake? Excellent. That makes for a very snappy title. Yay. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome. Do you have anything you want to plug or pitch or (laughs) where Um, people can follow you? Sure. So I will say um, I am most active on Twitter. You can follow me at Melissa C. Walker and you will not read that much about teenage romance right now because I work in the political sphere now. I work to change the balance of power in state chambers and elect lawmakers who want to improve people's lives. So that's what I work on now. And if you go to Twitter, you will see a lot of political talk there. Um, But my heart remains uh, firmly in the 11 turning 12 zone right now. And (laughs) I hope to return to writing middle grade novels after the country is less on fire. Beautiful. I love a good plug for democracy. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for your work. That's fantastic. But I want to say, yeah, I want to say this one thing, because I feel like I was really hard on Anna Martin in this conversation. And I was like, you know, well, I feel like I was saying like, oh, I would have put a little more connection between Logan and Marianne and things like that. And that is all true. But at the same time, like, I think she really nails so much about being this age very Mm -hmm. organically very deftly very naturally and the whole series i really appreciate how strong that is and you know it would have been easy to go astray um especially with so many books and i just think she really knows these characters and i think maybe she is all of them in a certain Mm -hmm. way and i find it to be like inspiring to revisit as a writer so yeah, we've been talking a lot about how distinctive the girls 
voices are. And it's like quite impressive. And they, you know, so far, at least, I, I mean, I haven't reread these books since I was a kid. So this has been really, really refreshing and jogging some old stuff. And so far, I'm really impressed with how consistent the voices um, develop, how consistently they develop over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, then there are all these added characters that start getting coming in. And I remember them very distinctly from the first characters. So I know that that kept going because even in my <laughs> own mind, like it's like, oh yeah, Mallory. Oh my gosh. You know, like I keep thinking about the new people who are coming in and how different they are and how I remember who they were, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, an amazing thing. So yeah, you know, I know you've already done a pizza toast to Anna Martin, but I just want to yeah. give a little <laughs> because it's really an incredible body of work. Yeah, she's amazing. Okay, so what should we pizza toast to? I think we should pizza toast to Marianne's kitten. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about Tigger. Good call. Yeah, I liked that little bit of assertiveness of her asking her dad and figuring it out and then inviting Logan with her. I was like, yeah, she's not, she doesn't have social anxiety. She's well, I'm thinking it out. now, too, now that we've been talking about Logan in this way, that she, when she goes, I want the gray one, he's like, you don't even want to play with any of the other cats? And I'm like, dude, just let him make a choice, man. Come on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Are you guys okay with pizza toasting to Tigger? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, pizza toast to Tigger. To Tigger! Tigger. Tigger. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram, at Stuck in Stony Brook, or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both the local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org backslash shop backslash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. Mm-hmm.